When you were young, were you told to be something practical, like an accountant, a lawyer, or an engineer? Well, guess what? The age of the left dominant worker is gone. There's a new brain in town, and it's time to make room for all the free thinkers, designers, inventors, teachers, and storytellers. Hallelujah. Join me and learn more. What does it mean to love and work well? And how do I pursue what truly matters? Working at the intersection of business and psychology, I help you answer these questions and more so you can focus priorities, inspire change, lead with courage, and live with more joy today. Hi, I'm Dr. Melissa Smith. Welcome to the Pursue What Matters podcast, where we focus on what it takes to thrive in love and work. I'm coming at you this month with another great book review, and this book will have you talking with others. It's so intriguing. Not only is the research compelling and fascinating, but it's fun. It is the story of us, how we operate in the world, and what the world needs now. I feel like there's a song there. So this book is all about how to thrive in the new economy. And I have a great freebie for you this week, tips for cultivating a whole new mind. So let's jump in. Okay, so the book that I'm reviewing today is called A Whole New Mind, Why Why Right-Brainers Will Rule the Future by Daniel Pink. And of course, this is not the first book that I have reviewed by Daniel Pink. He is one of my favorite leadership thinkers and writers. He's, He's got so many great books. I love his books. I love his writing because he does such a nice job of taking the research, but he just has such an interesting spin on it. And the other thing that I really like about his work is that he takes the research and he makes it totally practical. And he, you know, his books are so useful. And this book is no exception. So this book first came out in 2006. So you might say like, oh, it's kind of dated. But this is what you need to know. The future has arrived. So this book came out in 2006. And I was I was so shocked as I read the books. I was like, man, the future, the future has arrived. I mean, the things that he was kind of predicting, right? Like he was talking about what's going to be coming around the corner and it's here. I mean, I was at a presentation yesterday and it was based on some very recent research, some of the Deloitte research out of Australia And, you know, they were kind of talking about some of these very same concepts. And I was like, man, this is the stuff that Pink was outlining back in 2006. And so we are absolutely seeing what he was talking about. And so, again, like the future is here and the book is so relevant and he's got so many great skills to help you make sure that you're ready for the conceptual age. So, you know, I'll explain all of that in a little bit. But the material also has been updated and it's very, very relevant. So, Uh, The research that he discusses in the book is unfolding as we speak. And like I said, I was at a presentation yesterday where they were talking about some of this research and the research that they were discussing is has just come out in, I think, just the last year. And I was just like, okay, yeah, pink, pink pinned this uh, stuff really, really well. 
So the idea is that the future belongs to a different kind of person with a different kind of mind. So the artists, the inventors, the storytellers. So we think about the creative and holistic right brain thinkers whose abilities mark the fault line between who gets ahead and who doesn't. And so, you know, drawing on research from around the world, Pink really outlines six fundamentally human abilities that are absolute essentials for professional success and personal fulfillment. And of course, he focuses on how we can master them. So again, the book's totally practical and it's all about skill building, which is what I really like about the book and about Pink's work generally. So A Whole New Mind takes readers to a daring new place and this this is what they kind of talk about with the book. It's provocative and necessary new way of thinking about a future that's already here. So some of the things that others are saying about this book is, this is from Tom Peters. This book is a miracle. I was moved and disturbed and exhilarated all at once. So, you know, for those of you who might consider yourself more left brain and analytical, don't don't fear, there's still a place for you in the world. From the Miami Herald, they said this is an audacious and powerful work. Book lists describe this book as profound. The International Herald Tribune described the book as thought-provoking. And from the Harvard Business Review, they said for those wishing to give their own creative muscles a workout, the book is full of exercises and resources. So a little bit about Daniel Pink. So he's the author of four best-selling books. I think actually more than that now. I'll have a link to his website so you can learn a little bit more about him, including the long-running New York Times bestsellers, A Whole New Mind and Drive. Of course, he's also got When and To Sell is Human. So his books have been translated into 33 languages and have been used in high schools, universities, and MBA programs throughout the world. So you know, it's his, his work is eminently useful, which is great, right? I think there are a lot of writers out there where it's like, Hey, it's good information, but people don't necessarily find it really useful or engaging. And we can't say that about pink. Okay. So now let's talk about the main points of the book. So pink opens the book by, by kind of looking towards the past and, you know, talking about how the last few decades have belonged to a certain kind of person, right? And these have been analytical thinkers with a certain kind of mind. So, you know, think about Think about the knowledge workers, the computer programmers who could crank code, lawyers who could craft contracts, MBAs who could crunch numbers. So, right, we think about those hard skills. But Pink's argument is that the keys to the kingdom are really changing hands and that the future belongs to a very different kind of person with a very different kind of mind. And the keys to the kingdom are now moving towards the creators and the empathizers, the the individuals who can recognize patterns and the meaning makers who can look at our complex world and our global world, right? Because, you know, business has taken on 
global proportions, right? Like everything is global at this point and can make meaning. So these people, the artists, inventors, designers, storytellers, caregivers, consolers, big picture thinkers will now reap society's richest rewards and share its greatest joys. And that really is a seismic shift because if you think about in the past you know, really like in the past 50 years, but certainly before that, there hasn't been much room, you know, for, for large swaths of the designers, the artists, the creative types, you know, small, small portions of these populations could be very successful, but in general, the future, the the um, success really went to the computer programmers, the engineers, the lawyers, right? Like when I was growing up, we were told to be, you know, to go into something where you could make a good living. And it was be an engineer, be a lawyer, be an accountant, that sort of thing. And so this really does represent a seismic shift. And so he also talks about that we're moving from an economy and a society that's built on the logical, linear, and computer-like capabilities of the information age to an economy and a society built on the inventive, um, empathic, big-picture capabilities of what's rising in its place. And Pink describes this as the conceptual age. So a whole new mind is for anyone who wants to survive and thrive in this emerging world. So people uneasy in their careers or dissatisfied in their lives, entrepreneurs and business leaders eager to stay ahead of the next wave, parents who want to equip their children for the future, and legions of emotionally astute and creatively adroit people whose distinctive abilities the information age has often overlooked and undervalued. So that's who this book is for. And I love it. And, you know, we're really seeing that, you know, especially with the rise of the internet, we have seen an explosion of these solopreneurs, right? So these individuals who are able to start their own businesses online or or who are able to go into business on their own with an idea or with their with their passion, with their creativity in ways that they were never able to do before. And so we're kind of at a certain time and it's an inflection point in history where, you know, those who who have who, who kind of have some of these gifts are really able to thrive in this new conceptual world. So it's a pretty, pretty exciting time. And I think the other thing to pay attention to is, you know, if we think about kind of these right brain skills, right, and not to draw too too um, broad of a brushstroke on this, but these are many of the strengths that we see in women in particular. And so, you know, that's something really to pay attention to. So we've lived in the information age and the area and the era of the knowledge worker, right? And this, and so 
the information age has been pretty reductionistic. So the focus has been on automating everything, making everything as efficient as possible. And there's certainly been a ton of value to that effort, right? And that's that's really allowed for global value chains. And we've been really we've been very successful with that. And it's of course been very efficient. So we have globalization, transfer of white collar worker overseas. And one of the one of the results of that is that there's been an elimination of certain kinds of work due to technology. And so this era is coming to a close. And so think about that. So some legal work is now done online. Some white collar work has been taken overseas, right? So whoever thought that, you know, being a lawyer or legal work could be outsourced pretty easily, but that is the era that we live in. And so that, you know, if you were a lawyer, that could make you pretty nervous. And so more and more we're seeing Attorneys really need to niche their skills in order to find value and to add value to the work that they do. So this what what's happened, though, is the infor- information age has created a lot of material abundance. But of course, it's left us wanting more meaning and connection. And of course, that's a theme that you've seen throughout the podcast that, you know, we have so much competing for our attention and our time. And yet, you know, spiritually, we can feel pretty empty. You know, we're, we're searching for meaning and connection, even while we are drained of energy and time. And so Pink argues that we're moving into an age that requires new skills and values. And he describes these skills and values as high concept and high touch. So let's define those for you because this is kind of a key that he uses throughout the book. So high concept is the ability to detect patterns and opportunities, to create artistic and emotional beauty, to create a satisfying narrative, and to combine seemingly unrelated ideas into something new. And so when I think of high concept, I think of creativity, right? So connecting dots that might seemingly seem unconnected. And then high touch, the ability to empathize with others, to understand the subtleties of human interaction, to find joy in oneself and to elicit it in others and to stretch toward the pursuit of purpose and meaning. And so when I think of high touch, I think all about connection and meaning. And uh, I love both of those ideas that Pink focuses on. So, right, the new conceptual age is all about high concept and high touch. And think about that. that. I mean, that's the opposite of the information age, which is all about increasing efficiencies and automating things, right? It's the opposite of high touch and high concept. So it's kind of like getting away from touch, getting away from connection and making things as efficient as possible. So that's kind of what we're thinking about. 
So another way of thinking about this difference between the information age and the conceptual age is really with the left brain, right brain split, because it's a, it's essentially what's happening within our brains. So when you think about the left brain, this is where we think about analysis, logic, math, science, you know, the hard sciences, sequential, information age. And what Pink says about this is that it is necessary, but no longer sufficient. And I think that's a really helpful way of thinking about it. Like we will always need analysis and logic and sequential thinking. Like that's not going away at all, but it's necessary, but no longer sufficient. And then let's think about, you know, what what encompasses the right brain? And that is conceptual, emotional, creative, creative, nonlinear, intuitive, and holistic. So the capabilities of the right brain include the inventiveness, empathy, joyfulness, meaning, right? That's all about meaning and connection. So if you just think about growing up, you know, the skills of the right brain thinker, I mean, they just totally used to be dismissed as less than. Pink talks about an example of, I think this was, uh, I don't know if it was a leader within Hallmark cards or he was an artist with Hallmark cards, but he would go around to to different elementary schools and and teach art to the, to the children. And he would talk about, you know, the, one of the first questions that he would ask the kids is how many of you are an artist? And with the younger grades, like for the kindergarten age children and the first graders, when he asked that question, almost every hand in the room would shoot up that they would consider themselves artists. And he said it was one of the saddest things that as he asked that question of the kids in the older grades, that more and more hands would go down, that, you know, maybe one or two kids would raise their hands and admit that, you know, they would see themselves as an artist or that they would even acknowledge that they liked art. And he just talked about that often those it's it's not that kids didn't like art anymore, but that often those skills were not valued. They weren't valued by parents. They weren't valued by teachers. And so the the talents and the skills of the right brain were often shamed and judged. And so it's almost like they were kind of beat out of kids and not literally beat out of kids. Certainly, we hope not. But for many of us, the kids growing up, especially, you know, like in the 80s and the 90s and, and certainly before that, it was something that was not valued or it was seen as impractical or it's like, you know, you can't make a living with that. And so it's like, okay, it's nice for now, but you're not going to be able to make a living with that. And so, you know, you might as well, you might as well get on with it and, you know, take your AP math class or take your hard science classes. And of course, that is what is changing. And so 
of course, what Pink is saying is that the left brain skills are necessary but not sufficient. And so his argument is that we need a whole new mind where we have more of the balance with those skills and we need to really make room for those right brain skills. So the organization of the book is as follows. So part one is he talks about this conceptual age and talks about what's required and then and kind of makes the case for the fact that we're moving into the conceptual age. And boy, I see it all over the place, especially after reading the book. And I read the book a while ago and then I reread it again because I knew I wanted to talk about it. And yeah, I'm seeing it everywhere. And then part two is he talks about the six senses, which he says are the skills that you really need to cultivate to um, bring forth those right brain skills. And that's really the practical part of the book where it's focused on skill building. So let's let's focus on what's required in the conceptual age. So first of all, you know, let's just think really quickly about the difference between the left brain and the right brain. So of course we know, I mean, most of us know that the left, the left hemisphere controls the right side of the body and the right hemisphere controls the left side of the body. The left hemisphere is sequential while the right hemisphere is simultaneous, right? So the way that the hemispheres of the brain organize and make sense of information is very different. The left hemisphere is sequential. The right hemisphere is simultaneous. The left hemisphere specializes in text while the right hemisphere specializes in context. So you can see how the right hemisphere does better with meaning making and pattern recognition. And while why the left hemisphere would be better with logic and sequential analysis and logic, right? So you can kind of see the difference there. And the left the left hemisphere is better at analysis of details, while the right hemisphere is better at synthesizing the big picture. So right hemisphere is all about integrating the whole, while the left hemisphere is really good at zeroing in on details. So those are some of the very basic differences in how those hemispheres operate. And then let's focus in on this high concept and high touch, right? And if you can master these two these two skills, you will really be able to thrive in the new age. And so here are some questions to ask yourself about what you are currently doing to earn a living. And so these are kind of some gut check questions to help you to kind of see, you know, should you be worried about your job, right? I mean, how's your job security? What are the chances that, first of all, you're going to have an erosion in pay? Or, you know, what are the chances that your work could be automated? What are the chances that your work could be could be shipped off overseas. You know, how 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 well insulated are you in the conceptual age? So here are the questions. Can someone overseas do it cheaper? 
So that's one question. The second question, can a computer do it faster? And then third is what I'm offering in demand in an age of abundance? Oh, those are really good questions. Okay, so now if your answer to question one or two is yes, or if your answer to question three is no, then Pink says you're in deep trouble. (laughs) Okay, so if your answer to question one or two is yes, or if your answer to question three is no, you're in deep trouble. So if your question to answer one or two is yes, meaning someone overseas can do it cheaper and a computer can do it faster, then you do not have valuable skills, right? It can be automated. It could be shipped overseas. Or if your answer to question three is no, so what you're offering is not in demand in an age of abundance, then you need to, you, you better skill up. You better find some new skills because you will not be able to thrive in the conceptual age. So you don't need to freak out, right? Because we're all learning to shift into, into the new conceptual age. And really, I mean, there have been so many disruptions, so, so many disruptions. And so everyone is, is needing to shift a bit. There's, there's been so many disruptions. So high tech is no longer enough. So I found this so fascinating. So, you know, it used to be that getting an MBA from Harvard was really like a golden ticket. Like if you could get an MBA from Harvard, like you pretty much were set. And of course, like it it was really hard to get accepted into the MBA program at Harvard. But if you could get in and if you could, you know, do well in that program, then, you know, that was a golden ticket to some, you know, the best jobs and the best work opportunities. And you, you know, could have a ton of success. And now it's really interesting because the acceptance rate for Harvard's MBA program is 10%, which is still, you know, pretty low, I mean, compared to other programs. So it's still quite competitive, but it's 10%. And I want to contrast that, though, with UCLA's MFA program. So MFA is a master in fine arts. Their acceptance rate is 3%. Okay, so an MFA program, so Master of Fine Arts. So an MFA is now one of the hottest credentials in the world. So even the most traditional left-brain corporations are seeking out those with MFAs to join their ranks because they can they recognize that the high tech is not enough and that they need those individuals with the high concept, high touch skills in order to have a competitive advantage. And the MFA degree is is kind of one of those signals, right, and that they have, that the candidate has those high concept and high touch skills. So it is easier, it is easier to get accepted into Harvard's MBA program than it is to get into UCLA's MFA program which is crazy. That tells you everything about the fact that we're moving into this conceptual age. 
So the number of graphic designers has increased tenfold in the U.S. in the past decade, right? So we've seen an explosion of that. And over 240 U.S. universities have established creative writing MFA programs, up from fewer than 20 programs 20 years ago. So you can see the popularity of MFA programs. So some of these are writing programs, some of these are art programs, some of these are design programs. So there's some variety in those MFA programs, but from 20 to 240 in 20 years, that's that's a huge explosion because we know universities move slowly and that's that's a huge jump. So more Americans today work in arts, entertainment and design than work as lawyers, accountants and auditors. And, you know, I, I kind of talked about this earlier, but routine legal research can be outsourced overseas and basic legal information is available online. So if you think about 20 years ago, there was a ton of job security for an attorney and you could, you know, you could feel pretty secure that you would have a very good way of life and, you know, income as an attorney. And that is just not the case anymore. In order to be successful as a lawyer, right? And attorneys still can do very well, but you need to be pretty specialized and you need to be pretty niche. niche. And so you need to have more of these high touch, high concept skills in order to be successful as a lawyer, or you need to be incredibly efficient and automated, right? Like you got to have a lot of minions working under you, excuse the term, right? You kind of have to have a vast empire to be really successful, or you need to be so highly niched that it's hard for others to replicate what you do. And that's, that's really those right brain skills. And so that's kind of what you want to pay attention to with, with the work that you do and the skills that you have. Okay, so now part two of the book moves into the six senses. And Pink argues that there are six essential abilities that you need to make your way in the conceptual age. And these are great. And this this is where it gets super practical. And this is where I have the freebie for you. So make sure you download it. You can go to the show notes, which I will tell you how to access at the end of the podcast. And this is tips for cultivating a whole new mind. And I will have some of my favorite tips from each of the six senses that he includes in the book so that you can kind of have a jump start for working on some of those skills. And they're they're fun. They're fun things that you can do to kind of help get you going on some of these skills. So the senses, though, are the first one is design. And he says, not just function, but design. And then the second one is story. Story is a favorite one of mine. I love that one. Not just argument, but also story. The third one is symphony, not just focus, but also symphony. And I love symphony because it's all about integration, pattern recognition. You know, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Four is empathy, not just logic, but also empathy. And this is really those listening skills and understanding and 
seeking the perspective of the other and presence, you know, those, those are such important skills in the conceptual age. And then fifth is play. So not just seriousness, but also play and really recognizing the value of play. And if you remember, I did a podcast several months ago now on the importance of play, that it is, it's vital for not only our physical development, but our brain development. And that if we don't have play, we, right, like we do fail to develop appropriately. And then the sixth sense is meaning. So not just accumulation, but also meaning. So it's not enough to have abundance. Like you can have all of the abundance in the world, but without meaning, it's pointless. And, you know, we're, we're seeing a movement now, which I absolutely love. The, and we're seeing this movement away from consumerism towards simplicity. You know, so like I'm not a TV watcher, but you've seen um, on, on television, I, I hear about it, right? Like people live scaling down their homes and, you know, even like the mini homes and that sort of thing. And, and people really moving towards simplifying their lives, simplifying their schedules, and really learning to live with less. And how actually they, they find greater meaning in that and a sense of purpose. And um, so that's exactly what he's focusing on with that sixth sense. So I just want to talk about a couple things with each of these. And, um, and then, of course, watch for the freebie because it'll have um, a lot of practical ideas for you in each of these areas. So with design... He talks about this being one of those high concept aptitudes, you know, that is difficult to outsource or automate, right? Like you can't really automate design because it takes these skills of the eye and, you know, you, you got to be able to pay attention to the tastes of those that you're working with. And it increasingly confers a competitive advantage in business. And we really do not need to think any further than Apple. Okay, so think about Apple. I mean, they had a really good product. But I mean, I would say what made Apple so far and above everything else was its design the simplicity of its design and that it was a huge competitive advantage and it continues to be a huge competitive advantage for Apple. So good design, more accessible and affordable than ever, also lets us bring pleasure, meaning, and beauty to our lives. And so he describes designers as an agent of change. And he has a really great example in Target about how, you know, he went to Target and he had he bought like a designer toilet brush for like $2.99. And he's like, what on earth? Like talk about the land of abundance that he could have a designer toilet brush from um, Target. But when you think about design and how that really can confer a huge competitive advantage in business, you, you just don't need to think any further than Apple and how it really does create and add so much value to our personal lives as well. 
I, I know like for me, I love something that's well designed and it just, it just makes everything better. Okay, so then with story, you know, we are our stories. We compress years of experience, thought, and emotion into a few stories that we convey to others and we tell to ourselves. So think about that. Like when you tell someone a story, what do you decide is important? What are the important elements? You know, what do you decide to leave in a story? What do you decide to leave out of a story? And what is that? What does that say about you? And so there's so much meaning and emotion that's conveyed with story. So this is how we communicate, how we construct meaning, and it's always been true. So story is how we construct meaning. So personal narrative has become much more prevalent and more urgent in a time of, a, of abundance. And so it's, it's how we search for purpose and meaning. So some of the ways that we really see this showing up is with social media. So, right, if you think about Instagram, think about Instagram stories where you, you tell a story and you share that with other people. Another way that we really see it showing up is with family history and think about the explosion of family history and how that's become much more accessible and really easier to engage with than ever before with um, some of the online search tools and apps and engagement that way. So what, what we see with this is that we're searching for context that's enriched by emotions and a deeper understanding of how we fit in and why that matters. So I think that's really important to keep in mind. And of course, we need to listen to one another's stories and remember that we are the authors of our own lives. So we construct meaning, we're meaning makers, and we do that through our stories. Okay, then with symphony. So of course, symphony is all about learning to see the big picture. And of course, this is important for work, but also for health and well-being. So it's a focus on integration and a holistic view of the self in the world. So, you know, this is the thing. It's the capacity to see the big picture and that a recognition that this is the best antidote to a variety of the stressors that we experience in life. So, of course, we, you know, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. We're all crunched for time. We're overwhelmed by information. And it's so easy to become paralyzed by the weight of all of the information and all of the choices coming at us. And so, you know, when we think about symphony, you know, what I want you to pay attention to is with symphony, it's you can see all of this coming in, but you, you know, you have the power to see the big picture and to decide what matters. Because if it's all equally important, you're going to be taken down by it. And so, you know, the best prescription for these modern challenges is to approach your life in a contextual big picture fashion, right? And so kind of the analogy that I use in a lot of you know, a lot of my discussions when it comes to pursue what matters is the metaphor of the mountain that you 
always keep your eye on that mountain. And that's that big picture perspective so that you don't lose sight of what matters most, even though the storms are coming, the clouds are moving in, you know, maybe there's snow lashing your face, but you always keep your eye on the mountain and that helps you so you don't lose your way. Okay. So with empathy, in, in order to empathize with someone, it requires a certain amount of attachment and connection and that, you know, we need to be present with one another and we need to learn to attend with another person and actually be with them rather than just seeing them as an object, but as a person with feelings and those feelings, you know, affect us. So we've, we've got to change the way we interact with people. And, you know, this is where we kind of think about emotional intelligence and that this is the power of mindfulness and meditation and learning to be present with another person. As we think about play, it's, you know, having a play ethic can actually strengthen our work ethic. Taking play seriously can help you to be more effective at work. So it's kind of this concept of balance. And I love this one. So humor represents many aspects of the sophisticated thinking required in automated and outsourced times. So he really talks a lot about the value of humor and how that also can really make a big difference for empathy and connection. So I love that. So laughter leads to joy, which can in turn lead to greater creativity, productivity, and collaboration. And then of course, meaning, which is the last one, he talks about taking spirituality seriously. And I really like that. I mean, I've certainly been accused of that (laughs) before in my life, but like, I'm definitely a meaning maker. That's, that's very important to me, but he talks about taking spirituality and taking happiness seriously, but also recognizing that, you know, we can't pursue happiness like it must ensue. And that, of course, comes from a very famous quote from Viktor Frankl. It's one of my favorite quotes of all time that we, you know, we can't pursue happiness, but that it comes as a result of, you know, dedicating our lives to something that really matters. And that's, you know, in service to others, in service to a purpose greater than ourselves. And usually it is getting outside of our own selfish wants and desires and uh, finding meaning in life and being able to filter through all that information and connecting to purpose and helping others find and make meaning. And that that's where a real sense of purpose and happiness and joy really comes into play. So there you go. There's a little more context for the six senses. And so make sure you head on over to my website to check out the show notes with all the great resources, including a link to the book and also to Daniel Pink's website for this episode. And then, of course, a link to the freebie tips for cultivating a whole new mind. It will have some really good practical tips from the book, um, some of my favorite ones that you could get started on today to help you really cultivate a whole new mind. So you have a little more balance on, you know, the left brain and the right brain skills. And again, like one of the things I think is so cool about this book is a lot of these right brain skills are really 
some of the skills that we associate with nurturing, some of the skills that we would traditionally more associate with women, which I think is so cool. So for some of you women out there who wonder where you fit in, or maybe you are, you know, thinking about returning to work after maybe being at home with your kiddos, or, you know, you're looking at kind of switching careers, or you're maybe working part-time, but you would like to be working full-time or something like that. And you recognize that your skills really lie in, you know, some of these high concept, high touch areas. We need you. We need you. Your skills are needed more than ever. And so I hope that you will take the time and download the freebie and recognize that your time has come. These skills are needed more than ever. And it's really exciting. I love, I love everything that he talks about in this book. And it's a, it's a really great accessible read. So make sure you head on over to the website to check out the show notes and find the link for the freebie tips for cultivating a whole new mind. That's at www.drmelissasmith.com forward slash episode dash 43. Once again, that's www.drmelissasmith.com forward slash episode dash 43. I'm Dr. Melissa Smith. Remember, love and work, work and love, that's all there is. Until next time, take good care. Bye.